listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 273. We're almost at the 300 mark. We should do something special for our 300th episode. I think we say we're going to do something special Every all the time. Every episode we never get. We did do it for our millionth download, though. We did. That was right. a blast. And we did that in the middle of the pandemic. Right. That was fun. So we don't have an excuse to not do something for our 300th episode. We got a little Ex- bit of time. We'll, Ex- we'll unless we're busy doing something else, which is yeah. always possible. But we got reviews. You, you want to read cool? it? Yeah. You know what's cool about this review? What? I got it from Google. What? So Google Business Suite, Corey actually wrote the review on the Google Business Suite page for OGGN, which once again, this is the first time we've gotten a review this way. So now, audience, you have no excuse. <laughs> if you're if you're not an Apple Podcast or iTunes user, you can give us a review via Twitter. You can give us a review via Google Business Suite. Okay, right on. Starting the oil field this year as an operator working in the Bakken in North Dakota. Wanted to educate myself on the new industry. I'm pursuing a career and I found your podcast. Thank you. In a short amount of time, I've listened to numerous podcasts of Mark and Page, and I am blown away at the useful information you provide on every podcast. This has enabled me to intelligently communicate with my friends and family, and they now look at me for answers on what is going on with the industry, even though I just started six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> you provide palatable information and examples that I can understand, relate to, and easily share with those around me. Keep up the great work, Mark Page and team. As for Corey Home. So thank you, Corey. What a great review. Yeah. Pretty long one, too. Yep. All so right. Speaking of long ones, you want to get in the news? <laughs> oh, segways. Always these segways. All right. So first one is markets think Biden administration faked gas demand data to force prices down. Didn't you say this? Yes. And I really was hoping nobody would confirm what I was suspecting. And unfortunately, it looks like somebody has. This is the Daily Financial Trends. The link will be in the show, so you go check it out. But basically, it's a couple of things that they caught here, one which I didn't catch. One is with on the refining side of the house with that delay in the EIA output, which we talked about. One of the things that was uncovered is that the crack spreads are collapsing for refiners. Now, that sounds like the beginning of an eighth grade joke, right? Crack yeah. spreads. Let me tell you. I did snicker a little bit. <laughs> it's basically the difference between what the refinery pays for the raw feedstock, so think crude oil, right. and what the prices are for the finished items, like lipstick, adhesive tape, jet fuel, whatever. Right. right. So that was something I missed on this. And it looks like the, the EI not only just missed that one report that I talked about, but actually for several weeks missed a couple of reports. Oh, really? Each one had the raw data to show that the market was going to move a certain way that our current administration claimed was because of their actions. Now even Wall Street is starting to question that. You know, Wall Street typically doesn't question that type of stuff. So Bank of America energy strategist Doug Legit, who I've actually met, said, look, the fall of gasoline demand appears to be grossly exaggerated. It literally, quote, for the end weekend in July 22nd, implied gasoline demand rebounded to 9.2 million barrels a day. Million barrel today increase versus the last two-week average in the second highest level of 2022. Immediately thereafter, the EI reported a massive drop in gasoline demand, which prompted a Piper Sander global expert strategist to call the data crooked. That's not my word. My thought, not my word. So it looks, we're headed for a scandal. It looks like that our current administration did actually basically cook the books a little bit. 
to Dang. make the public think that they had a direct impact on the pump and the other things. It looks like there's several organizations that could be investigating this. There's also some talk from the Republican side of the House saying that after midterm elections, this is going to be investigated heavily. All righty. So we'll stay on top of this. Yeah. All right. So the next one is Inflation Reduction Act could result in more energy service inflation. And as of the moment we're recording this, it has already been signed by the president. So welcome to hell. Yeah. So the first thing that bothers me about this is this doesn't help inflation at all. No, it does the opposite. Even Bernie Sanders came out and said, I don't think this is going to help. Bernie Sanders actually came out and said that? Yeah. Wow. So a bunch of stuff going on. I don't want to get to the, too much of the details, right. the politics. $60 billion in this bill is go for expanding manufacturing capacities. That's going to actually help our industry a little bit because parts of our industry definitely fall into the manufacturing side, especially things like pipeline. But we got $100 billion from this bill to accelerate basically solar, wind, and battery storage. This is going to increase renewable energy installs and actually decrease the cost of renewable energy. At the same time, parts of this bill are going to increase, like the methane emissions, the cost of hydrocarbon energy. So this bill, I should say parts of this bill, please no hate mail because I know this is like 747 pages, but parts of this bill is going to artificially decrease the cost of renewables and artificially increase the cost of hydrocarbons. In my mind, they are trying to force the American public to give up cheap, reliable hydrocarbons for renewable energy, which is not cheap or reliable unless it's government subsidized. And then we're also talking about inflation has hit a lot of manufacturers around the world. We're getting to that a little bit later. China's having a huge slowdown in their output, which then affects and strengthens this recession that we are definitely in. You called it right, Paige. We are definitely in a world recession. Well, I mean, the definition exists. Um, Now, the interesting thing is, and I like that they did this, is that a lot of the wind and solar incentives, financial incentives, are based upon the parts and pieces coming from the U.S. or Europe, Mm -hmm. not from overseas. We all know that's a big threat to not only our sovereignty as a nation, but actually to our energy infrastructure. Right. It's also interesting that you saw there's incentives in here for electric vehicles. There's a $7,500 incentive if you want to buy an EV. Oh, man. Wait. Ford just upped its price to all its EVs by (sighs) $8,000. Right. So Man. you see how this goes cause and effect. So now Ford's EV are $8,000 more than they were, but you get a $7,500 basically rebate from the federal government. So Ford still makes the exact same money. It's just you're my tax dollars are now financing other people's buying. Fantastic. EVs. What yeah. a great idea. There is some good stuff in here, though, right? One of the things in here is a bill to help train workers, basically helping people learn the trade skills. So the same stuff we talk about, welding, pipe fitting, mm-hmm. machining. I think that's awesome. There's also money in here to help bring back more manufacturing to the U.S. So Okay, that's good. It's, that's it's, good. It's not a total mess, but it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of messes, EIA U.S. propane spot prices have declined. Now, let me tell you what's funny about this page. I just literally went and refilled our backup propane that we use for barbecue, right? Right. And the last time I filled it, it was $40. It's back down to the 20 bucks that it was before everything happened in 2020 and 2021. So I'm living this drop in propane. And most of the world uses either butane or propane to heat water and to run their stoves, right? right? Mm -hmm. They don't have the natural gas infrastructure we have here in the U.S., which, by the way, if you have a natural gas stove, I want you to think about this. The next time you turn it on, you're connected by a bunch of pipes to the Pleistocene era. 
How cool is that? Oh, that, I didn't even think yeah. about that. It's literally you're connected physically to the Pleistocene area. Most of the world doesn't have that infrastructure, so they compress these gases and they put them in tanks and they use them. And a lot of rural America still use propane and butane to heat water and to heat their homes and cook food on. So this is actually good for the American consumer that the prices have dropped. The interesting thing, the margins really have it, right? So now that we're getting more hydrocarbons in the market in the U.S., which is what propane is made from, and those hydrocarbon prices are starting to come down, the propane margins are staying the same, So even though the prices are coming down. So it's actually good for everybody. Good. Well, I guess my segue sucked then. <laughs> what was your segue? I was like, speaking of messes. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled a U. All right. So Energy Industry Opposes Inflation Reduction Act. Ooh, boy, this is literally every industry trade association in the world, really, but especially all the ones in the U.S. First thing, they call out the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, which meets the definition we are in a recession. They also talk about the new government spending and the tax increases, and they're doing this at a time when we're facing the most significant global energy crisis since the 1970s. It is not a time to start jacking taxes on American people. I'm going to be pissed next April. I'm just going to say that right so now. So the Inflation Reduction Act is imposing a new corporate minimum tax. So right now, so basically it means you are taxing in the middle of a recession. That makes no sense. Well, then that's where Bernie Sanders was like, this is not going to help inflation. It's the IRA. The funny thing about me calling it the IRA is I'm so old that I think of the Irish Republican Army that was a oh. terrorist activity in <laughs> Ireland <laughs> instead of thinking of it as the Inflation Reduction Act. But anyway, almost a $12 billion tax on crude oil and petroleum products at the time when the world has an energy shortage, really. Yeah. They're putting a bunch of constraints on our ability to do exploration and production to actually find new reservoirs. There was no permitting reform, which is something they said. So we still have to deal with the intentional dragging out of permitting for leases for us to go actually drill for new hydrocarbons. Once again, at a time when the world is going through an energy shortage. And then the other thing that nobody's talked about except me, and I'm sure there's some other people out there, is, you know, 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas, but 90% of the cost of fertilizer is the ammonia that's stripped from the natural gas. Right. As we're going through our next crop cycle in the world, both fertilizer prices and diesel prices are either quadrupled or higher than they normally are. And those are the two biggest costs to farmers. So the world's food prices are going to go up during a time where people don't have extra money and they're having to pay more for energy. So this is just not good. Basically. All right. So major petroleum corridor at risk of closure due to low water levels. Yeah, so they're talking about the Rhine River, and you're seeing a lot of people on social use this as evidence of catastrophic climate change. People, it does this every year, and it's done this every year for 100 years, right? In fact, the companies even have workarounds to this. Now, let me tell you how they talk about major ports of moving a lot of goods and materials down the Rhine. The threshold is 16 inches. So if the boat draws more than 16 inches, it can't go down there. Do you know how small a boat that is? We're blessed in the U.S. by our natural resources. Mississippi River? Oh, yeah. Hundreds of feet deep, right? Yeah, right. All of our deep water ports, you know, those boats draw 20, 30, 40 feet when they're loaded. Drawing 16 inches is nothing. But the other thing that's happening is Europe is having to, I don't want to say emergency, but almost emergency. They're fran frantic, right? Where Europe is frantically building cold fire power plants after getting away from them for years because of this energy shortage and the winter right. coming away so they can keep their people warm. 
guess one of the best ways it is to move that coal to the power plants, the Rhine River. Oh. So now they have to move coal by rail and by truck, which has just increased the cost and increased the impact to the environment. So this is a mess, and there's no solution to this. And once the river drops below 16 inches, the transportation is going to stop, and they have to move to land transportation, which, like I said, is going to increase cost. And right. it's a bigger chance of having an environmental mishap. Right. Yep. Okay, so the next one is Chinese oil giant Sinopec and PetroChina to delist from NYSE. So New York Stock Exchange. So a couple of things to note here. First thing, a large part of both of these companies' stock is not on the New York Stock Exchange, right? Oh, really? It's on other foreign exchanges. They're talking about both PetroChina and Sinopec. Both are saying the same thing that it just doesn't make business sense for them to stay listed on the New York Stock Exchange. I don't think that's what this is. I think what this is, is this is a retaliatory mm. action based upon Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan during these that makes high sense. tensions, right? And so basically, it's like, look, U.S., I'm going to not allow your traders to make money off my company. Right. It's really interesting that the Chinese Security Commission is looking into this to make sure it's legit. I'm not making fun of you, Chinese Security Commission, but when I think of all the organizations in the world that do a very good, detailed and truthful job of investigating security violations, they're not the first one that comes to my mind. So it has to be really bad when the Chinese Security yeah. Commission <laughs> yeah. wants to investigate two of their own companies. So there'll be more to come on this one for sure. All right. So what we got next? Russia set to resume pipeline oil exports via Ukraine. I'm so glad you put this in here. I so, saw it and I was like, ooh. Yeah. So basically, the oil exports to Europe through Ukraine via the Russian pipeline had stopped, I think, the first week of August, right? And everybody said, well, it's because of war. Naturally, duh. That's not true at all. Listen to this. Even though they're fighting savagely, they both make money off this. So it was a bank issue. The bank funds weren't transferred properly. And so the Ukraine, which controls that part of the Russian pipeline, said, we're not going to let this oil go through until the bank transfer is made. They went back, fixed the problem. And to me, it's all, I don't want to say it's I bet funny. They, I, bet you, I bet you they fixed it real quick. I don't want to say it's funny because people are dying. Warfare is never funny. But right. it's almost ironic that these two countries, which are in a bitter, bitter battle right now, both said, you know what? Let's just like, keep business as usual because we both make money off this. So one of the things that's, that's interesting. That's confusing. It's unexpected, right? right. You, you'd think the answer would be the war. Right. And then here's the funny thing. Both Hungary and, and Slovakia paid the transit fees for this to get the bank transfer done because they need the Russian oil to keep their people warm. So once again, you know, I talk about this all the time about politics affecting our industry, about public perception, but I always say over and over again, the biggest driver is the market. And once here's a perfect example. Yeah, of two countries no are in a war. The market still drives them to cooperate so that this pipeline can flow crude. Yeah. No kidding. All right, let's go to Gazprom, Iran, 40 billion deal faces issues over corrosion and sanctions. Yeah, so this is basically Iran and Russia have a joint venture to help build the infrastructure for the Iranian gas fields. Now, you've heard me talk about this a bunch. This is one of the countries that have been, their infrastructure has been destroyed by warfare, by strife. And so they have tons of hydrocarbons in the ground that the world needs right now, but they literally can't get them out and move it to market because Everything's been destroyed. And Russia's there, or Gazprom, which is Russia's basically there, helping them to rebuild all this. But here's the funny part. This is rare. Now, remember, Russia's under sanctions for the Ukraine. Right. But Iran is under sanctions from their restarting their nuclear stuff, right? 
So both Europe, Japan, and the U.S. have both of these countries under sanctions, which is rare. Usually it's only one country. And when it's only one country, they can get the parts and pieces they need from the other country, right? Right. Now that both of them are under sanctions, they literally can't get pipe. They can't get tubulars. They can't huh. get the right steel to build this stuff, right? And it's going to take a very long time for the Russian steel industry to be able to manufacture these tubulars at the right quality for these projects, right? So they literally can't do the work. This is how sanctions are supposed to work. Right. right. Now, here's my fear. I suspect they're going to go ahead and use subpar tubulars. That's what I was just about to ask you. To get these hydrocarbons to market so they can start making money. The problem with that is they're going to leak and they're going to leak quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Let's hope nobody gets hurt. At the very minimal, we'll probably have pretty substantial environmental impact that we will never Never hear hear about, about. right? Let's hope nothing lets loose and people get hurt. And the type of oil that they pull out of the Iranian reserves are highly corrosive, has a lot of hydrogen sulfide into it. So it's going to eat through that naked steel in, you know, months. So just big threat to the environment. There's no solution to this. They're going to go ahead and move forward. They're going to do what they want. Yeah. And of course, this article isn't talking about them using substandard materials, but I'm telling you, Russia can't manufacture the tubulars to the right quality. It'll take them five or six years. And I just know from history and from experience that they're going to go ahead and move through this project, go ahead and build all this stuff with subpar materials because honestly, they don't care if it leaks. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we have our regulations over here. Yep. All right, so speaking of regulations, oil outages in Gulf of Mexico straining tight market. So this is a great article about how, to your point, Paige, how our infrastructure is built the right way with the right automation and the right process and the right people. So what happened is they had a booster station, had a when I say mild leak, a very mild leak, they shut the entire pipeline. The system did. No, no operator did. Okay? So the automated system shut everything down. The shell pipelines at Mars and Amberjack which together moved about half a million barrels a day from basically Gulf of Mexico to shore. They shut all that down, which then meant that Shell's Mars, Ursula, Olympus, as long as Chevron's Corp, Jack St. Mal, Tahiti, and Bigfoot fields all were, all couldn't produce. Right. right. Everybody had to shut in. Yeah. But they did the right thing. The system said, hey, we got a leak. We shut it down until we fixed it. They have it fixed. It looks like that this is going to come back online. Actually, I think it came back online today. I think you're right. Yeah. So, you know, once again, this is a perfect example of how if you do it the right way and your intent is pure and you have the right technology, you can harvest hydrocarbons 100% environmentally responsible where when there's a chance of something leaking, the system shuts itself down so there's no impact to the environment so nobody gets hurt. Right. Technology at its finest, y'all. Yep. Oh, and Sergio Chapa helped with this one. What's up, bro? All right, so next one, ICIS IPEX points to global price collapse. So, you know, I'm pretty decent at paying attention to what's going on and even kind of halfway decent at predicting stuff in the future. Mm -hmm. I didn't see this one coming. Because of the slowdown in manufacturing, specifically from China, and that slowdown is for two reasons. They're starting to lock back down for a different strain of COVID, and the world is entering into a recession. And so they know that the demand for manufactured products will be less. And what they don't want to do is manufacture a bunch of Tupperware and they can't sell it, right? So they're not manufacturing the Tupperware. So Literally Tupperware? It's one of the things made from petrochemicals. Uh, oh, I know. I just no, I was, I made like, that up. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what's going on is petrochemical prices are collapsing. I did not expect that. Petrochemicals is what makes modern life possible. And you've heard me say this every year in my predictions. As these emerging economies in India and China move out from their rural agrarian lifestyle to modern cities, which three-quarters of the world will be in modern cities by 2050, they need stuff like Tupperware and duct right. tape and carpet, right? Well, because of the slowdown – 
petrochemical prices are dropping. Now, the problem with this is, remember what we went through in 2020 when there was no demand for fuels, jet fuel, diesel, gasoline? Companies shut down refineries. Right. If this thing continues, you're going to see petrochemical factories shut down, refineries shut down, ethylene plants shut down. And once again, the problem with that is when you shut it down, it takes, takes a, a very long yep. time to get it started back up, which means that there'll be a huge shortage of petrochemicals at some point in the future and prices will go through the roof. And we don't need anything to get more expensive while we're in a recession. So this is not good news. The world is on fire. But we do have some good news. Oh, Baker Hughes to move corporate headquarters to Houston's Energy Corridor. So Baker, I've known Baker for 25 years, and they've grown by acquisition. And I'm not picking on you, Baker, because I love you to death. But a lot of the companies that you acquired, you never fully integrated. You let them just kind of run on their own, which included their office. At one point, I don't know how many offices y'all had in the Gulf Coast, but it was a lot. And the problem with that is very inefficient, right? And so what Baker's doing is their last their big office on Westfield Road, which, by the way, I got a picture somewhere on Facebook from probably six or seven years ago. The parking closest to the front door, the first four parking spots were labeled for green vehicles only, and somebody parked a green Dodge Challenger there, <laughs> and, and I had to take a picture of it because it was so funny. Actually, you know what? I was there with you. You were I with me. That. Yeah. I remember I was- Let's, We interviewed Jack Hinton. Yeah, for HSE. For HSE. And so- I've always wondered, was that person naive and literally thought that somebody put no, a No, somebody was being a smart aleck. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. But still, it was funny. So anyway, they're building a new 130,000 square feet office space in the energy center. So they could be in the energy corridor, which is where they should be. They could close all their other offices, bring everybody in, which could drive efficiencies. Ooh, even the one off of 2920? Yep. Yep. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not going to close some of their yards. Well, I was going to say, because that one's a training facility and they have everything in the back to train on wells. So... so Anybody that works in Baker, let us know if you can keep that training facility there or not. I suspect they probably will because if I remember right, they have BJ services across the street. And they have more than one rig there. Right. And yeah. you're not going to want to bring a rig into the energy corridor. Um, <laughs> I don't think that would be allowed. <laughs> I think there's probably some site. But the, what the cool thing about this is they're going to modernize the office to make it much easier for teams to collaborate, light, airy building. So it's, you know, the people that are coming back to work want to go back to work. They've learned their lesson with the hybrid work environment. So the office mm. space is going to be smaller, which, by the way, I went to the HPE office just a couple of days ago here in Houston. They're one of our sponsors. I was wowed, like wowed, wowed. So first thing is I met their CEO. He comes walking down the hallway. He looks like he's going to change a light bulb somewhere. You didn't know he's a CEO. They have four restaurants in there. You can order food by an app. They have a 700-foot screen in the outdoor area. It is enormous. And when I walked out there, it was showing tweets from Baker Hughes, HPE's employees. Oh, right? that's cool. They have a maker center where it's 3D printing, welding. Oh, pipe I was like, maker? What are we, what? Baker? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, HPE, if anybody from HPE is listening to show, that office is wild. And we're going to do some live events there. It's so impressive. We're going we're to do some cool stuff there. But anyway, speaking of cool office buildings, Baker will build a brand new one. And then, like I said, is able to shrink their footprint from all the other locations they have. And they're following the other companies that have done this exact same thing, Chevron, Enbridge, Bechtel, BakerBots. So, you know, congratulations, Baker, for building new cool offices. I can't wait to go check it out. Right. Yes. Are you going to talk about the Canon? Of course we'll talk about the Canon. If you want a really cool place to go work, go to the Canon. It's where we used to do our industry mixers. We're actually, I think, changing locations. We'll let y'all know about that. But Follow they, us on Eventbrite. That's where all that information lives. Or on LinkedIn. Or LinkedIn. Yeah. But if you want to co-work in space, you walk up the front desk, say your friends with OGGN, they'll give you a free day pass, let you work there for free, and they won't try to sell you anything. Weekly recount. Where are we? 
United States is at 763 down one. Canada is at 201 down two. And internationally, we're up nine at 833. Love those numbers. Yeah. Speaking of loving numbers, if you want to love us some more, like I said, go to LinkedIn, join the OGGN page, group, whatever. We do need to do something with the street team, but we'll worry about that a little bit later. Which, by the way, I've given up. We honestly, we did not do a good job the street team. I'll take all that responsibility myself. It was a great idea. Good, because I'm blaming you. Yeah. (laughs) I just didn't implement it well. So street team members, my apologies. I screwed up. But what's not screwed up is a monthly email events newsletter. Events is starting to take off again. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in your inbox once a month for free. And sometimes you get free stuff the public's not privy to. Which, by the way, audience, what's the second Tuesday in September? I think it's the 13th. Something like that. We're doing something really cool here in Houston. The API, American Petroleum Institute, Houston chapter, is letting OGGN come in and basically we're taking over. We're going to do a really cool panel with some major operators. I can't tell you who they are, but they're major, like major, major operators. Also, Hewitt Packard Enterprise, we're going to have a panel on the real uses of technology at oil and gas. So it's not academia. It's what big companies are actually using and the results they're getting from it. And then we're going to live stream it to our global audiences. So look out for that. That's probably going to sell out. So if you want to join us there, you need to grab a ticket quick. And that will also be in the monthly events newsletter. Then if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, we actually got a lot of speaking events, a lot of conferences that we're doing now in 2023. So reach out. Be happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A, if you, we use your question on the air, you know from experience, you'll get a big shout out. Remember the goal- Or is, I'm going to boo you, one of the two. Remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I or to find a husband. Yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready to get out of here? I am. Remember folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.